throughout your lifetime, you're actually going to partner with a lot of different people in ministry. And there's going to be people that somewhat stand out above the rest. And you love all your volunteers equally, but there are some volunteers you're like, man, this is the type of person that I really prayed for. And early on in ministry, I had a volunteer. Uh, his name was Adam. That's actually not his name, uh, but I don't want to say his actual name because if he ever listens to this, I don't want to hurt his feelings. And, and so, uh, but his name is Adam, and Adam was a great volunteer. He was the type of volunteer you prayed for, the, the one that all the kids loved, all the volunteers loved. Uh, we shared a lot in common. We, we loved the same sports and activities. We both wanted to see the kingdom of God grow, and, and we prayed together, and we confessed sin together. Together, it was what many would call a, a bromance. But then a girl entered the picture and we got yokoed. And if, if you don't know what it means to get yokoed, ask somebody who's over 60, they'll be able to help you out. They know who Yoko is. It's when a girl comes in and, and destroys the group, Yoko Ono and the Beatles. And so we got yokoed and and this my friend Adam, he jumped into sin head first with this girl. And so as one of my volunteer leaders, I was like, man, I got to talk to him. I love him. I care for him. I just want to talk to him. And, and so we talked and, and he repented actually and, and said, man, I need, to, I need to be better in these areas and I want to grow. And I said, man, I'm willing to walk with you through that. And, and it was a great conversation at first. But then after a few weeks, I, I tried calling him and he wouldn't answer. And I'd call him again and I'd call him again and he just wouldn't respond back. And then finally he texted me and he said, hey, I'd like to meet you at Panera. And you guys know, if you've heard me preach, you know my thoughts on Panera. Uh, you know, good food, little portions. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be hungry when I'm done. So that's okay, but we'll go to Panera. And, and I remember sitting there with a cup of coffee, him sitting across from me and looking me in the face and telling me, I don't need you as a friend anymore. I don't want you as a mentor I don't need you in my life. I'm done with ministry. In fact, I want you out of my life. And my jaw dropped. This had been a guy I'd spent a ton of time in ministry with. And I returned to my office that day devastated. And for weeks, I was angry and bitter. Have you ever been so angry that you just drive around replaying conversations in your head or thinking about what you would say if you saw that person out in public? Has anybody ever been there that bitter? Just, there was no, no, no peace, just a lot of pain. And I was paralyzed. And it was really hard for me to do the ministry that God had called me to do because I was so angry. A short time later, Adam asked for forgiveness. He came back and he said, you know, I'm sorry. And I said, I forgive you. But in my heart, I was still hurt. I was still hurt. What do we need to wrap our hearts around, to forgive, to let things go when others cause us pain and suffering? Turn to Genesis 50. We find part of our answer in the life of Joseph. And now uh, some of you haven't been here. That's okay. Uh, let's do a little recap. We've been doing a lot of recaps, but it's really important that we do a recap today just to kind of put everything in perspective. Jacob had 12 sons. One son 
Joseph, he favored more than any others. And so he gave him a really sweet, ornate robe. And if you want your kids to hate each other, just play favorites. That was the lesson there. Play favorites. Your kids will not like each other. And so the brothers are jealous. And to make matters worse, Joseph has two dreams and and probably foolishly doesn't measure his words, stands up in front of his brothers and says, hey guys, one day I am going to rule over the entire family. All of my brothers and mom and dad, I am going to be the ruler. And that goes about as good as you think it would. His brothers, they strip him of his robe and they throw him into a pit and they're like, hey, we can make some money so let's sell him into slavery. We sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is an official of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And, and Joseph prospers under Egypt's or under Pharaoh's care. And he grows and, and Pharaoh puts him in charge of much as a slave. But then Pharaoh's wife, the cougar, starts getting eyes for Joseph and falsely accuses him of, of advancement and, and sin. And Joseph is falsely thrown into prison. He's falsely accused and thrown into prison on some trumped up charges. But there, Joseph prospers as well. And one day, two men come in, one a baker, one a cupbearer. They both have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams. He says, baker, you're going to die. Cupbearer, you're going to live. And when you do, remember me. Get me out of here. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. But for two whole years, the cupbearer forgets Joseph and he's left to rot in prison. And if you're in the prison with Joseph hearing this story, you're asking yourself one question. Where is your God in all of this? Where is your God in all of this? What is he doing here? You see this chain of despair which began with his brothers play out and you think, what the heck? is God doing? Well, Pharaoh has two dreams. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. Joseph is let out of prison. He interprets the Pharaoh's dreams. He says, you're going to have seven years of plenty. I mean, things are going to be crazy. You're going to have crazy return on your investments. We're going to have stores full of seed and and enough resources and produce to feed everybody. But then you're going to have seven years of famine where things are going to get real tough. And you're going to need to appoint somebody over all this to distribute this so that the people can be fed. And the Pharaoh says, well, how about you, Joseph? And Joseph takes that position and he begins to prepare. And then the famine hits. And everybody from all around the world comes to Joseph to be fed, including his brothers. They too are hungry. They too are in need and they come to the very person they threw in the pit for help. And Doug talked about this last week. They didn't recognize him. He looked like an Egyptian at this point. They didn't know who he was and 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 through a series of events Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Now, if you're Joseph at this point, you're like, "Man, I'm not helping them out." And Doug, you did a great job talking about that last week. You know, like this is your dream if you got picked on in middle school. Like to get to a place where you can look at those who shoved you in a locker and say, hey, look at me now. Uh, And guess what? I'm not going to help you out. Like this is what you dream about if you've been picked on, if you've been hurt, to be in a place of power to return that pain. But Joseph doesn't choose that. 
He chooses reconciliation. And the question that we have is how does Joseph, who is left to rot in prison, sold into slavery, thrown into a pit, and humiliated, respond with grace to those who cause these things to happen? And this is somewhat of a part two to Doug's sermon. But look at Genesis 50. Go to verse 15. Go to verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. So this is after their father Jacob has passed away and been buried in the land of Canaan. So when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers in their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. So they realize that their brother, the one they left for dead, the one they sold into slavery, is now one of the most powerful people in the entire world. And the restraining authority of their father is gone. And so they're probably thinking to themselves, well, dad was kind of keeping us safe because dad wanted what was best for all of us. But now daddy's dead. And so we need to tell Joseph that daddy said to forgive. And so they, 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 they send somebody, they send a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command. Please forgive us. Please forgive your brothers. Now, we don't see that actually happen in Scripture. We don't see Jacob tell his sons to do that. You know, please remind Joseph to, to leave you guys alone, to keep you safe. This is possibly a fabricated statement by his brothers. Hey, we're in trouble, so let's make up a lie. Daddy said to forgive us. Don't hold it against us. And Joseph weeps. And Joseph weeps at this because his brothers, after all they've been through, after their reconciliation, their salvation, they still don't trust Joseph. And so they come and they fall at his feet. And this is what Joseph says. But Joseph said to them, verse 19, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. Underline that. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now I had you underline that because I think the main theme of this passage, I think the main theme of the Joseph narrative, I think the main theme, or at least a major theme in the book of Genesis is this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is big enough to take evil from Eden all the way to Egypt and use it for his purposes. Now, I want you to hear me. God is not evil. God does not do evil. But he adapts it and transforms it out of his loving power. 
mean, this is echoed in Romans 8. We've talked about Romans 8 numerous times throughout this passage because there's obviously a link there. But Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In context, Paul is saying that God is working through all things, including evil that happens to you. He is working through all things to make you more like Jesus Christ. We see all over Scripture God using evil to to save his people, to protect his people, to grow his people, and accomplish his good plan. And I heard this quote a long time ago, and I don't know who it's from, but, but it goes like this. is Life is this great tapestry that God is weaving. And when we look up from the bottom, all we may see is knots. But if we look from the top down, we'll see a, a beautiful picture, a glorious portrait that God is painting. His plans are still unfolding. God is still working. This narrative is first and foremost about a big God. That's why I started our service today talking about that. We don't worship a small God. We don't worship a lesser Jesus. We worship a big God. Yet it's also about living in light of a big God. I asked the question earlier, how does Joseph respond with grace and forgive? Well, he knew, he knew who he wasn't. I mean, it says here, who, who am I? I'm not going to take vengeance upon you because I am not God. How often when you are hurt, you just want to assault somebody. Get back at them verbally, physically, mentally. You know, stick it to them real good so that they hurt like they've hurt you. Well, that's for God to take vengeance. That's for God to answer when you're hurt. And, and Joseph knows this. But he also knew who God was and what God was capable of. God took something evil. He looks at his brother and says, God took something evil, your evil actions against me, and he created beauty. It was 13 years of hell. Did it hurt? Absolutely. But can I rejoice because God worked this way? Yes. Many nations are fed, people are saved, and our family is alive. I don't need to be bitter. Joseph's perspective of seeing God as sovereign over evil, it really deflated any bitterness or desire for vengeance in him. Joseph's soul was swept clean. He was able to forgive in light of a God who is bigger than evil. And if we take Romans 8 and Genesis 50 seriously, we know, and I want you to hear this, if you've been harmed by the evil of other people, I want you to hear this. If we take Genesis 50 and Romans 8 seriously, evil is not wasted on us. It's not wasted on us. And in this perspective, it crushes the power of evil over us and it moves us to forgiveness faster. 
Now, I don't care what some people say. Forgiveness can be a process. Sometimes you can be supernaturally given a lot of grace and you can just forgive somebody for something awful in the moment or, or, and you can do that. But, but for me, there are times where I've had to get to the point where I'm able to forgive somebody or let something go. It's a process. And so we need certain truths to move us to forgiveness faster. I don't think Joseph was there in chapter 37. I don't think his brothers threw him into a pit and he's sitting there, you know, dying of thirst saying, guys, it's okay. I forgive you. Everything's good, man. This is going to turn out okay. We don't know that Joseph and Joseph probably wasn't there. So we need certain truths to move us from anger to grace. I was working out with a student a few years ago when I was doing student ministry, and uh, it's kind of how guys connect is like doing, like women can get a cup of coffee and talk. I love doing that, but sometimes guys are like, that sounds weird. Uh, I don't want to do that. It sounds too much like a bromance. Uh, So maybe we can build something or we can work out together, and as we do that, we can talk. And so I was doing that with, with one of our students. We were working out, and... For, for one of the first times, he starts to open up about his family. And I knew that his father didn't live with him. And I knew that his father uh, hurt him in a lot of different ways. And, and I could see that. I could see that in, in, in Nathan. And, and we were talking, and, and I kind of got, you know, there are times as a pastor where you get the Holy Spirit kind of pushing you to be like, be a little bit bolder here. And I asked him, do you think you'll ever be able to let go of what happened between you and your father? And his father wanted a relationship with him, but he didn't want a relationship with his father. So I asked him, do you think you'll be able to ever forgive or let go of what has happened to you because of your father? And and he looked me in the eye, and this was a good kid, and he said, I will absolutely never forgive my father. I will never forgive my father. In my head, I was able to look at this young man's life and see how God had worked through his painful past to bring him to maturity in Christ. He was self-reliant, a self-feeder, compassionate with other teens who were struggling, doing great things in ministry. But until he can see that God is big enough to redeem his father's actions, he will always move away from forgiveness and towards bitterness. The faithful forgive in light of a God who is bigger than evil. People are going to hurt you. Lucy, you have hurt me many times with your comments. (laughs) People are, it's real. It's a real fact. People are going to hurt you. People are, are going to speak against you. They're going to stab you in the back. They're they're going to say you look like Kung Fu Panda and it's going to hurt your feelings. They're going to discredit your faith. They're going to ruin your ministry. Sin, sickness, pain is part of the Christian experience, guys. If you think you're going to get through life, through your job, through your family, and think that everybody's going going to be just all roses and daisies and everything is going to be easy, you are wrong. That is a universal truth, this side of heaven. Because of sin, you will hurt people and people will hurt you. And when you're hurt, you may have no idea of what God is doing right now. 
You may have no idea of what God is doing right now. You can't see the end. All you may see right now is, is knots. And you're living in, in despair. No sleep, no peace, just pain. And you're going to feel like you're in a prison and, and the palace is, is a million miles off. The idea of relief from this pain seems like a, seems like a fleeting hope at best. And, and there's going to be temptation in that moment for you to give up on what God is calling you to do today. To preach the gospel. To serve. To parent your kids well. To love people. To care for those in need. You know, all the things that are called of us to be faithful. In those moments, I pray that you see God as sovereign. Whatever you're dealing with right now, whether you're at the beginning of that pain, in the middle, or towards the end, God is not done. God is not done. His plans are still unfolding. He is not done with you. He's potentially using this for a greater purpose down the road. And we're confident that he's using this to make you more like Jesus. Evil is not wasted on you. And our God is capable of redeeming even the darkest of moments in your life. We have a God of redemption. We have a God who changes people. We have a God who creates beauty out of ashes, who creates fruit when there's nothing but destruction and brokenness. We have a God who continually works. And I pray that these truths seep into your heart and move you to faithfulness. And now for me, this application became very specific when I first pre preached this sermon, eh, when I first preached this sermon years ago. And it's kind of the fun part about preaching is when you preach God's word, you get convicted a lot. It's awesome. And so, uh, you know, you, you study a passage and you're like, dang it, I'm not doing this and I need to grow in this. And so if your pastor is not being convicted by the stuff he's preaching, he's not really studying God's word in depth or it's just an academic process. For me, I'm just like you guys. I hear it, I read it, and I'm like, man, I'm challenged by this. And so when I read this passage for the first time, I was like, ah, dang it. I'm going to have to do something about this now. I'm going to have to work on this. I want to do that. I hadn't spoken to Adam after that conversation at Panera. I hadn't spoken to Adam for three or four years. Not a word. Not a word. And then I read this passage. And I was like, I, I, this is the one guy that God keeps bringing to my mind. I got to do something. So I actually called him up about four years after our last conversation. And I said to him, man, you hurt me. You cut me deep. <laughs> I said, you hurt me. But you came to me and you asked for forgiveness and I wasn't willing to forgive you. It was easier for me to be bitter, to give in to, to anger, and to let that destroy our friendship. I did not believe that God was big enough to redeem that situation. 
and I let it affect my life and ruin a, a good friendship. And this conversation for me was freeing. I don't know if you've ever had something just weigh you down. And it didn't like kill my ministry or, or prevent me from loving people, but it was just something that I constantly thought about, probably like once a month or every two months, and it was just kind of like, man, that really stunk. Not just what happened, but how I handled it and how I left it. And that conversation for me was very therapeutic and freeing. And I think it's what Jesus talks about of giving us a light yoke. He doesn't want us to be weighed down. He doesn't want the the sin of others to, to affect our lives on a daily basis. He wants us to trust him with those things. I know that in some way or another, you have been profoundly hurt by someone else. Every single person in this room has scars. I encourage you to do a couple of things. First, identify who it was and what happened. That's the easy part. Most of us can identify who has hurt us and how they have hurt us. But here's the very hard part. I encourage you I encourage you to ask God for grace to see that evil for what it is and then to trust him with it. I ask for you to to look at the pain that was inflicted upon you by others, the suffering you're going through as something that God is capable of using. And I want you then to trust God with that thing. And if possible, Seek reconciliation. Here's the reality. You may not always be able to pick up that phone and have that therapeutic freeing conversation. I was talking to an older man today whose wife had passed away in 2016. And I think he was trying to tell me, I wish I could have handled that stuff when I had the chance. And so if you can, seek reconciliation. Seek Peace. Do what Doug called us all to do last week and move towards forgiveness, hope, faithfulness. And in doing that, if you still have trouble living and or forgiving under a big God, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. So like if you look at your situation And you tell yourself, man, God is not capable of bringing about any good out of this. Like if you tell yourself that, Larry, my situation is too ugly. Things are too nasty. Uh, What was done to me was, was too messed up. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Is not the cross the supreme example of God's power over evil? The love of God took up the betrayal of Judas, the cruelty of man, and made them the means of a sacrifice through which love conquered the world. They meant evil against him, but God shaped it, redeemed it to save many. It was the greatest evil, and God brought about the greatest good. And if we didn't know the story, and we're sitting there at Calvary at the foot of the cross seeing Jesus being crucified, every single one of us would be like, stop! This isn't fair! 
He doesn't deserve this. This isn't right. This is the very definition of evil, punishing, murdering in the most cruel way possible. The only sinless man who ever walked this earth. What is happening is, is evil, is wrong, yet the irony is God used this supreme manifestation of evil to bring about the most triumphant manifestation of good. And we have Jesus saying what in the middle of it all, hanging on a cross as people make fun of him, beat him and hurt him. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If Jesus, if God the Father through Christ can turn the greatest evil ever into the greatest good ever, I'm confident he can work through whatever you are dealing with. The faithful forgive and live in light of a God who is bigger than evil. Amen?